Yeah, Father, I just thank you, uh, yeah, just for your church and these guys, Lord, and, and yeah, the opportunity to go through your word. I thank you that you've given us this gift of this amazing book. Um, and as we go through it, may you guide us, Lord. May all the things that I say really be of you and, and of, of your scripture and of your book, Lord. Yeah, Lord, may you guide us and may you teach us um, and then help us to live out what we read in these pages. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, if you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand and one of our uh, lovely ushers will come and give you a Bible. Uh, but yeah, if you do not have one, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Um, as you may or may not know, we have been going on Sundays through the book of Matthew, uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse um, with, um, with Pastor Anthony. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we will be taking a slight detour. We'll be looking at a couple of other places in Scripture and he'll be taking... Um, be uh, following back up in, when he gets back in a couple of weeks' time. So they have landed safely in the States and they're having a nice good time. It's uh, a lot hotter over there than it is here. Uh, but yeah, they send their love and um, they're looking forward to coming back already. Um, but yeah, it is uh, the new year, a happy new year, um, and we now go into 2016. So 2015 is behind us. Whoop, whoop. And we're now 2016. And the cool thing about a new year um, is it's a good time for reflection. It's a good time to see where you've been, um, but also to look forward to, to the places that you could potentially be going. Uh, and it seems like such a, um, yeah, such a significant time. I remember just walking along the street over the last couple of days and having random strangers kind of come up to you and say, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, Happy New Year. Or if you're, you know, working in a, I work in a music shop and you're on the phone and, you know, the disgruntled customer is talking to you and then they get to the end of the sentence like, Happy New Year! And you're like, yeah, Happy New Year to you too! And, uh, but no, it is a Happy New Year to you. So. <laughs> but it is a great time to reflect at where we're at. Um, right in the beginning of the Bible, um, when we see Adam and Eve and we see sin enters the world and Adam and Eve are hiding from God. And God gives this question which has been resounding throughout time, which is, where are you? Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Where are you? So the question today is, where are you at? Um, in the kind of the section we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at um, the book of Galatians, and the letter, um, and we're going to be looking um, just at a small section in there, um, and kind of at the end of the text that we're looking at, uh, the writer says this, but let each one examine his own work. And this idea of let every, each one examine his own walk. There are moments where we're called to look at our lives and to ask God, God, where am I? Uh, and it will often be a number of different places. Either we're in that place or... We've never really encountered this Jesus yet. We've kind of heard of him and we kind of have our own ideas of him, but we have yet to really put our trust in him as Lord and Saviour. Or we may be in that position of we have given our lives to Jesus and we are faithfully walking with him bit by bit and he is changing us. Bit by bit and day by day he is changing us from the people we used to be into this glorious new creation. Or we may find ourselves in that place of yes, we've trusted in God as our Lord and Saviour, um, but we've kind of stumbled a little bit. We've kind of tripped up a little bit. We're kind of in that place of we know Jesus and we know we're secure in him. 
Um, but if we're truly honest, we may not be walking in that place where we're truly flourishing, where we're truly, yeah, just truly growing and flourishing in Him. Um, so as we go through this, I want us to keep in mind, where am I at? And as we read through this text, um, we'll see kind of two paths um, which kind of the writer puts forward to us. So we're going to be in the book of Galatians. So that's in the New Testament, and it is a letter, um, a lovely letter, uh, written by Paul to, um, to the Galatians. Um, so if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be going from verse 13. And Paul says this. So that's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. So that's kind of towards the, getting towards the end of the book. Um, of the, getting towards the end of the Bible and the book, the actual letter itself. Uh, and he says this, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 is where we'll pick it up. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Or some translations will say freedom. You've been called to freedom. You've been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, and just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As we go through this beautiful text, we see that Paul is presenting to us two paths. We see here that there is the one of the flesh and the one of the spirit. And as we we unpack the text, we'll see that these two are contrary to each other. They are opposites to each other. They are against each other. We see here the walk of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And the question is to us is, (laughs) as we go through this text, 
Are we truly walking in the Spirit? Or are we performing the acts of the flesh? Are we living a life and following the desires of the Spirit? Or living a life which is following desires of the flesh? And let's begin, first of all, in verse 13, where he says this. For you, brethren. So first of all, who is he addressing? For you, brethren. He's addressing fellow Christians. He says, look, fellow Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is for you. This message is for you. Christians have been called to freedom. He says this, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You have been called to freedom. You can see here he's addressing fellow Christians and he says, look, Christian, you have been called to freedom. And we find out, if we even go a few verses before, at the beginning of that chapter, we see who is the, the acting agent of that freedom. It says this, in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Stand fast, therefore in liberty, by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Here he's saying, look, you have been set free by Christ. And now he says, now that you have been set free, he says, now stand in that freedom. So the obvious question comes to, okay, so okay, so if Christ has set me free, and we know he's talking to Christians, to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and he says, Look, you've been called to freedom, now stand in that freedom. The obvious question is this, and it's, and it's definitely, as you can see in that verse, verse where he says, don't go back to bondage, but remain in freedom. He says, it, it obviously implies that we have been set free from something. <laughs> we, have, we were in captivity, we were in bondage, we were enslaved, but we have been set free. And the question is, what have we been set free from? And now if we read through the whole of the chapter, we see specifically that he is talking about a number of things. One of the things he's talking about as we read through the text is the freedom we no longer have to perform the, uh, the kind of the ritual of circumcision, which is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty down with being free from that. We can set free from that, but even more important than that. Um, and as he kind of alludes to in this text, even far greater than just being set free from certain physical practices, even more importantly, we've been set free from sin. And as Jesus himself says in, in the Gospel of John, so if you've got uh, a Bible, would you please turn with me? It's, a, it's in John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 31 to 36. And Jesus says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, Indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here Jesus says, look, if you abide in my word, and that word abide, it means, uh, it's, uh, the original Greek is, is, is mino, I think that's how you say it, M-I-N-O, and it means to kind of remain, to stand in, to be immersed in, to stand upon, to be within, to not move. He says that if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then the, the, the Jews there respond this. They say, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say 
you will be made free. Even the Jews at the time didn't get what he was saying. They were like, okay, whoa, Jesus, we're not, we're, we're not enslaved. What do you mean we need to be set free? And, and it's kind of crazy even when you think about it, because even at the time, the Jewish people, even from a physical standpoint, were not even truly set free. We know that the Romans were, were occupying, and they didn't have that true, even, even from a physical, worldly standpoint, they weren't free, and they were still even blind to that. And so often we can be blind to that. We're like, no, no, I don't need saving. I'm fine. I'm not enslaved. We're talking about enslaved. Enslaved to what? I'm free. I can make my own choices. And then Jesus says this. This is his answer. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Here he says, look, you, you, you're missing it. Your sin enslaves you. This problem is not unique to, to a group of people or to a culture, but we find that the issue of sin is universal. It affects everybody. And it says, we have committed sin and that sin keeps us enslaved. But here we see the solution to that enslavement. We see that that solution is Jesus. You see, sin enslaves us, and no matter how hard we try, we could not set ourselves free from it. We needed somebody to step in and to intervene. And it reminds me kind of, kind of a maybe a slightly silly story, but. When I was younger, we went to the beach once with my parents' church, and I was a, I don't know, maybe a young teenager. And I decided that I thought it would be a cool idea to dig a big hole. Um, you know, there's lots of sand, and I was like, okay, let's dig a big hole. I wanted to see how big, it could, how big I could make it. So I, me and a couple of guys, we were kind of digging and digging, and we kind of keep going, keep going, and then after a while, I think we kind of got bored, and we looked, and we were like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is huge. I mean, this is like... I'm pretty sure, okay, I was a lot smaller at the time. Maybe I was a bit more down here. So, but I, I, I remember, you know, it was, it, was, it was a deep hole. It was big, you know, and uh, you, know, you needed, needed a bit of help getting out. Uh, um, and I remember, and unwisely, we uh, as kids kind of dug up this big hole. Oh, this is really cool. And then we left it and went to something else. Uh, at which point, while we were away, a child fell into the hole. Uh, but the problem is, when, if we fell into the hole, it's fine, because we are big enough to, to climb out ourselves. But when a child fell into the hole, no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get out. And no matter how hard they try, it, it's just, hey, come on, it's, it's sad. It's just kind of, you can't get a footing, you can't get a hole. So this poor child is kind of stuck there until, thankfully, their parent finds them, reaches down, and picks them out. And sin is exactly the same. <laughs> we find that we, just like that child, cannot save ourselves. We can't bring ourselves out of that pit of sin. We need somebody to reach down to enter our world and to pick us out. You see, sin, which is this universal problem, there is a penalty to sin. We were enslaved to the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. You see, because of all the wrong things we've done, we stood under just, just judgment. We were condemned. And we were guilty and we knew it. 
There was no point pleading our, pleading our case. All of us have fallen short and have sinned and have missed the mark. We stood under that penalty. But not only that, we were enslaved to the very power of sin. It's that, it was that time where we, we, we hurt people that we cared about most. And we, didn't, we couldn't even see it. We were blind to it. We saw that. We, we knew what was good, and yet we were so enslaved, we just kept following that path of destruction. And yet we also see that there's enslavement in the very presence of sin. Not only are we enslaved to the sin that we commit, committed to others, but those committed against us as well. And we find ourselves literally in a horrible mess of bondage and enslavement, where the sins we've committed against each other enslave us, and the sins which other people commit against us enslave us, and we find ourselves wounded in desperate need of salvation. And that is where Jesus Christ steps in. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. He takes on the punishment. First of all, he lives a perfect life which we can never live, and then takes on that judgment which we rightly deserve. He takes it upon himself on the cross. He dies but then he rises again and he says that this gift of grace and forgiveness I offer to you freely. All you need to do is accept it. Put your faith and trust in me and I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new life. And we see that that new life, once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we see that he sets us free from the penalty of sin. We now stand before God. <laughs> We've been made right with God. When we stand before him now, he sees Jesus in all his perfection. He accepts us as his loving children. Judgment is no longer upon us once we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are literally set free from the penalty. And as we're going to be looking through in this next period of time, he has set us free and is setting us free from the very power of sin. What we find out is, as we read through these texts, is that this, that he gives us a new heart so that we no longer say yes to sin, but we can actually say no to it. That we can actually begin to live a completely different life. Day by day, he changes us. And then not only that, we have this future promise that one day, the very presence of sin in this world, we will be taken away from. The very hurt which we cause to others and others to us that very presence of sin and that defining nature will completely be rid, we will be completely pure, and we will be completely with him in his presence. We will be completely and utterly set free. And in this text he says, look, look, I have come to set you free, but now live free. And, and kind of a continual thing which will come back to this in this is, look, you've been set free from Christ. Why would you want to go back to that life of slavery when he's kept, he saved you? He set you free. Why would you want to run back to that? So he says this in that same verse. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom. And he continues on. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. This is what he says. He says, look, you've been set free. 
you are free. <laughs> and, you have, and, and not only are we free, we also know that when we do fall, when we do sin, his grace is there to cover us. But he says, look, don't misuse that freedom. He says, don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He says, look, I've set you free. Don't go back to bondage. Don't go back to sin. But instead, and I love how he does it, he gives us an alternative. He says, look, don't just avoid this, but do this instead. You have been set free. Don't go back to sin because it is bondage. It will enslave you. But instead, use that opportunity through love to serve one another. He says, look, as we'll kind of look at the flesh and sinful desires, it's all about the self. It's all about me, what I can take, what I can get, what I can receive. And yet Jesus says, but don't do that. Instead, through love, serve others. The desires of the flesh are self, but the desires of Christ is selfless. It is a forgetting of yourself so that you can love and serve others. And the key word in that is through love. He says that don't use your freedom to go back to sin, but instead serve one another. But he says that the key agent for serving one another is love. He says, through love. And the only way we can truly serve through love is if we know the God of love. As the Bible says, God himself is love. You see, when this vertical relationship is right, when that with God our relationship with God is right, where we're getting all that we need from him, where he is satisfying our every need, it then frees us up to use our freedom to lovingly serve one another. We're no longer serving one another to see what we can gain, but we are just serving selflessly because he is serving us selflessly. That is the agent for which we are to serve one another. And then he actually gives us a practical example of this. And he says this, in verse 14, he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. What is our, think about this, our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with God. He says that your horizontal act towards others is simply summed up in this, love (laughs) love your neighbour, love the other person as yourself. And he goes on in verse 15, but... If you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Here he says, he gives a practical example, and you can see it in the church, he says that Christians, he says, instead of seeking your own sinful and fleshly desires, instead, through love, serve one another. But when we get these mixed up, when we enter into this place, in a place of I'm trying to see what I can get, what, how I can fulfil my fleshly desires, how I can make this all about me and the self, it results in this. It results in each of us biting and devouring one another. Even as Christians, if we are coming into a place where we are just seeking to take from one another what we can get from one another, it will leave us in this place where we will be consumed by one another. Where it's simply, uh, you know, when we're coming into that place of what can I get, what can I receive from this person and being like, instead of being like, Lord, I need this from you, 
And once that is right, I can then faithfully serve one another. If we're entering into this place where we're seeking the fleshly desires, we will end up just devouring one another. When our eyes are taken off of Jesus, we will just <laughs> it's carnage. And he continues on to then specifically list these things, how the flesh plays itself out. And he goes on this, in verse 16 he says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. He says that in response to what I have just said, in response of Instead of using your freedom as an opportunity to sin, using your freedom as an opportunity to serve, he says that in response to this, walk in the Spirit. And that idea of walking, it implies, it implies movement, moving. It implies something which is daily, kind of step by step. As you walk, it is it's something which is moving, step by step. It's gradual. It's bit by bit. It's, it's habitual. It's continual. It's active. He says, look, walk in the spirit and it's really interesting that he puts that he says walk in the spirit he doesn't say walk beside the spirit or behind the spirit he says to walk in the spirit as if in the middle as if immersed in day by day actively walking in the spirit and when we do this there is a promise it's like a kind of like a cause and effect he says if you do this this will happen and he says this, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says that if you are walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Those simple and flesh desires of the flesh, if you're truly walking in me and with me, you shall not fulfill them. Or some translations will say you shall not gratify them. And he says, look, if you're walking in me, this is the result. And if we split that on its head, this means two things. This means that as we kind of look at, we'll look at what the works of the flesh looks like, but this means in those moments when we are following the desires of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh, it's not just a simple mistake. It actually means it's, it's spiritual. We see that when we're doing these things, we are failing to walk with God. We are failing to walk with him as we should be. So what does it mean to walk with him? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to know who we are walking in. And it's interesting, he says, uh, walk in the Spirit. He doesn't say walk in your Spirit or in somebody else's Spirit. He says walk in the Spirit. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God himself, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He says that walk in the Spirit, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Walk in Him. And in order to walk in Him, we need to know who He is. I would encourage you to kind of do this in, in your own time. It's a really good task. In, in, in John chapter, uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 to 16, Jesus is with His disciples in the upper room, you know, hours before He's going to go to His death, and He's teaching them. And who better to get taught about who this Holy Spirit is than Jesus himself? And Jesus, throughout those uh, 14 to 3 chapters, 
He teaches his disciples about who this Holy Spirit is. If we are to walk in the Spirit, we need to know who he is. And here are just a, a screenshot, as it were, and I encourage you to, to walk through these things in your own time, but this is what he says about the Holy Spirit in those kind of two chapters. And I kind of, what I did was, as a good kind of task, is to kind of, what does he say, who does he say the Holy Spirit is, what does he say that the Holy Spirit does? So who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And anything kind of related to who he is. And the first thing we see throughout those, few, the, throughout those three chapters is that the Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not just a kind of a, a fog or some kind of, uh, kind of sci-fi being. It's, it's, the Holy Spirit is a person. Somebody who can be listened to, somebody who speaks, and somebody who can be breathed. And he says this, first of all, the Holy Spirit is a he, and then we see this, the Holy Spirit is our helper, in chapter 14, verse 16 of John. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive nor accept him. The Holy Spirit dwells with us and will be in us. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is sent by the Father. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I have said. That's Jesus. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, judgment. The Holy Spirit declares to us the things that are to come. And the Holy Spirit declares to us what belongs to Jesus. And one of my favourite ones is this. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all the truth. And that is just taking three chapters. That's not looking at the rest of Scripture, just three chapters we learn this about the Holy Spirit. So what the question is, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? As we kind of even briefly mentioned in that, in John 14, 17, he says that the world cannot receive acceptance. So how do we receive this Holy Spirit? Is there something special we need to do? I mean, and, and as we read through Scripture, we see this. That as soon as you give your life to Jesus, before you knew Jesus, before you trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit cannot live inside of you. He may be working on the outside, kind of trying to push you towards Jesus, but he is not inside of you. But we see this, that when you give your life to Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Saviour, one of the many benefits and gifts is that his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of you. And we see this in Ephesians 1.13. He says this, In him, being Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so you heard the gospel and you, you heard this truth, you've trusted in this Jesus, and it says this, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. What was conditional of you being sealed with the Holy Spirit? It was believing in Jesus. When you trusted in him, he comes and lives inside of you. So the question is, have you put your faith 
in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted this gospel? If you haven't, make today the day. And if you have, he lives inside of you. His Holy Spirit is in you. But the question is, will you listen to him? <laughs> will you listen to him? And will you walk with him? And I think that means us daily, first of all, acknowledging who he is. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge you working inside me. It means talking to him. I mean, how do you walk with somebody? You know, not kind of walk in somebody and not talk to them. But Holy Spirit, I'm talking to you. How? What is pleasing you? How are you guiding? Me? And what better way to know when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us than reading the book that He inspired, the Bible, finding more about Him. So as we daily walk and acknowledge Him. I think it starts there. It starts by simply acknowledging God himself lives inside of us and then acting accordingly, talking to us, walking with him continually. And he says that beautiful promise, when we do that, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he continues, and he says this, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish here we see that he puts them against each other he says look here is the spirit and here is the flesh and they are against each other they are contrary to each other they are as if they complete opposite of each other it's like an Arsenal well okay it's not really like this but this is a terrible example but it's like an Arsenal fan and a Tottenham fan they are not. <laughs> they are, if you've watched football too, you might know what I'm talking about. But um, an Arsenal fan and Tottenham fan, they are against each other. They're enemies. You know, they, they are not for each other. If you have an Arsenal fan meet a Tottenham fan, it never, it never ends well. You know, they, they are not, they are completely against each other. And even more so, and that's a silly example, but even more so is the spirit against the flesh. He says, look, they are contrary to each other. They are completely in enmity towards each other, in opposition towards each other, contrary to each other. And then that, and that is a big challenge for us because often we've been saved and we're walking with him. If, we, if the spirit is completely contrary, why on earth are we trying to still get some of the flesh? We're still trying to get a little bit of the flesh and kind of bring it over here. And when Jesus is like, no, 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 that's, it's completely different, completely separate. They do not align with each other. They are in opposition to each other. And if they're in opposition to each other, God's very, God himself, the Holy Spirit, and the flesh, in those moments when we turn to the flesh, it means we're turning our back on God. It means we are no longer acknowledging him, but we are turning towards the flesh. <laughs> we are aligning ourselves with something which is against the one who died on the cross for our sins. He says that these things are in complete enmity with each other. And 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Spirit leads to freedom. You should look for his leading. And then he goes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now he begins to describe what the works of the flesh are. Okay? Because it's, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, 
you know, I like how Paul does this, you know, he's writing to these guys, and it's, you know, he's like, okay, if I'm going to talk about the flesh, I'm going to at least, you know, I'm going to make it abundantly clear, so you, I'm going to make it abundantly clear that you know what the works of the flesh are. I'm going to make it clear what these work, what, how these display themselves. And as we'll kind of see, at the root of all of these things is ultimately a heart which is not right with the because when your heart is right, you're walking with him and you will not gratify those sinful desires. So when we see the works of the flesh begin to reveal themselves, to manifest themselves, it's because our heart is not in the right place. We need to address not just, this, not just the, uh, the symptoms, but the actual cause of the sickness itself. And he says this, so now the works of the flesh, and these are the word works, so it's multiple, it, it shows and reveals itself in multiple ways, of the flesh are evident. The word he uses is, is well, I'm not going to say it right, but I'll try anyway, is phanos, which means an idea of shining, apparent, a kind of publicly abroad, appear, known, manifest, openly, outwardly. So says that the works of the flesh are evident. They are clear. You can tell when something, you can tell when somebody's walking the flesh. These things will eventually manifest themselves. It will become clear. And then he goes on to present this list, quite an extensive list. And he starts with he starts with adultery and then fornication. Some translations will say uh, for that word um, uh, will translate as sexual immorality. Uh, and the word originally in the Greek is the word porneia, which is the word which is where we get the word pornography from. And the idea of that is just sexual sin. He kind of gives this broad term because he knows that in our sinful selves we'll try and find something around the term. He says, no, anything which is sexually immoral, sexually wrong, outside of the confines of a biblical and covenantal marriage, he says that that is sexual immorality. That is fornication. And he goes on, he says, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, some translations will say divisions, uh, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, that means kind of like false teaching, uh, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives us this broad list, and I love how he ends it, and he says, and the like. <laughs> he knows that we're going to be like, you know, you know in our sinful selves, we're going to be looking down at this, being like, okay, is this okay? Yeah, he's going to mention it, I can do it! He says, no, 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 and the like. <laughs> I love how he's born and says that these are just um, these are just kind of some of the key ones I can think of, but anything which is kind of in this heart of the flesh, in that heart of this selfish, sinful desire which is against God. And he says that there is a result of this. And I like it says, which I told you beforehand, which means Paul has told the church before, and well, which he is saying again, look, I've reminded of this this you this that I've reminded you of this again and again, and I am reminding you once again, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says these things are not just contrary, 
They are not just opposite to Christ, but they actually keep you outside of his kingdom. And now that brings us into this position where we look at this and we, and we have to be honest. We're like, Lord, <laughs> there have been moments where we, where we fit this, even as Christians where we fit Where we look at this and we're like, Lord, <laughs> none of us can say that, looking at that list, that at some point in our lives we have not fulfilled some fleshly, simple desire. He says, we are all guilty and we all deserve not to go into the kingdom. We all, for what we have done, deserve just judgment which is separation from God and outside of his kingdom. But there is hope. <laughs> and this hope is this, that Jesus came on the cross, died for our sins, so that when we put our faith in him, he forgives us and we get to enter the kingdom. Once we've accepted him, there'll be moments where we fall, where we begin to do the works of the flesh, and in those moments, he will often lovingly <laughs> reveal it to us, pick us up, and get us moving again. But we know this because we are forgiven, although we deserve to be outside of the kingdom, we get to go inside the kingdom. Because his grace is sufficient. But the sad thing of this is that for those who have not accepted Jesus, who have not received that forgiveness, they're still outside of the kingdom. They still don't get to go into the kingdom. But that free gift is still available to them if they reject it. We see ultimately here that the flesh leads to death. It led to our eternal death that Jesus <laughs> saved us. But it even leads to, to death here. The flesh does not lead to life. The spirit does. So now that we have been saved, if you have given your life to Christ, we are not just forgiven for the works of the flesh, so that we get to enter into that kingdom, but he also begins to change us so that now we're living a life which is no longer... <laughs> in submission and slavery to the flesh, but in walking in freedom and following Christ. And that is all summed up in that one word, but. <laughs> he gives this list of the flesh and he says, look, if the, if the works of the flesh lead to death, they lead to being put outside the kingdom. And he puts this word, but. But Jesus steps in. He dies on the cross for our sins. He offers us this grace and this forgiveness. And when we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, we receive his Holy Spirit. And if we read through all those things, if we're reading through those things, and those things can put, they are horrible things of the flesh, but now we get to meditate on the beautiful things of the Spirit. And he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Important thing to notice, it doesn't say fruit. It's singular, it says fruit. <laughs> that we see that these things, these are the fruit, they are the, res the result of the Holy Spirit living inside our lives. And it's really key to know that, because it's so often we can miss the fruit of the Spirit and just, and just focus on the things themselves. We kind of forget that it is fruit of the Spirit, it's a result of the Spirit. 
It's not that we get up today and be like, okay, today, Daniel, be more loving. I'm going to be more loving, and I'm going to be more joyful, and I'm going to be more peaceful. And how often do we find out that often doesn't work? <laughs> like, dang, come on, be more loving, be more loving. Yeah. Nah, I don't really need to say that a lot more. <laughs> but how often we focus on the fruit and forget to focus on the vine which produces the fruit. So often we get it twisted. <laughs> it says, look, the fruit of the Spirit is this. The result of the Spirit is this. Focus on the Spirit and the fruit will come. And kind of Jesus says a similar thing. In John chapter 15, 1 to 8, he says this, talking about fruit. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he proves that it may, it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, focus on the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, and if you abide in me, and he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Here he says this, focus on the vine. <laughs> Abide in me. If you remain in me, if you stay in me, you will bear much fruit. That's the promise. Our job is to stay and abide in him and the result of that is the fruit. So often we try and do it the other way around. We try and kind of do do the fruit ourselves and forget that without him we cannot produce lasting fruit. Without him we really can do nothing. But we must humbly come before him and say, Jesus, I need you. None of this fruit can come unless I abide and stay and remain in you. The key to this is Jesus. (laughs) The key to this is abiding in him. And this is the result. When we walk in the Spirit, when we abide in Jesus, he will begin to change us and make us more like these things. And these things are pretty cool. I think we can all agree. (laughs) When we see this, the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself in this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When we are walking in Jesus, he will begin to change us. <laughs> the fruit of that spirit living inside of us will begin to produce itself and we'll find ourselves growing in love, growing in joy. I love how he puts it in there. Growing in peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And these fruits become a good gauge and challenge to us. Am I really abiding in him? (laughs) 
And so often when difficult times come, they will reveal that. Often when you go through a difficult time, it, it reveals what your faith is truly in, what your trust is truly in, what you're grounded in, what you're grounded upon. And he says that if you abide in me for walking in me, it's going to bear this fruit. You're going to grow in these things. And it's bit by bit. He changes us bit by bit. It's not all at once. We don't become the most loving person in the world at once or the most joyful person in the world at once. But it's amazing when we give our lives to Jesus, bit by bit, we see the works of the flesh begin to diminish. And the things of the Spirit begin to increase. Because He is changing us. We find that our desires are changing as well. The thing that we once were enslaved by, we actually now find we don't even desire anymore. We long to be away from that. And long to, we now have new desires. And it's amazing going through this. I've kind of missed it all these other times. How he lists out the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we know that these things are contrary to each other, right? We've already seen that. He clearly said these things are against each other. They are contrary to each other. What if we were to take some of the, some of the individual things of the flesh and some of the individual things of the Spirit and then begin to actually compare them against each other. What do I mean? What do I mean when I say that? I mean this, right? If these things are completely contrary to each other, if we take, for example, the first thing, adultery. Adultery is a work of the flesh, and the flesh is completely against the spirit. This means that adultery is completely against love. It's completely contrary to joy, to true peace, to true patience and self-control and kindness. Take the next one. You look at fornication or sexual immorality. You see that this is completely against and contrary to the spirit. And that is love. It's completely contrary to love, to joy, to peace. And we could go on. We can go on. We can see that fornication and uh, uncleanliness and lewdness and idolatry is against love. It's contrary to love. It's contrary to joy. It's contrary to peace. That is the truth. <laughs> and so often, as the world, we've exchanged that truth, right? So often we're like, oh no, adultery, no, no, that, that really is love. No, no, that really is, that will lead me to joy, that will lead me to true joy. If I, if I do this, this will lead me to true joy. And actually, Jesus says, you're wrong, you have believed a great lie. And so often, <laughs> we fall into the works of the flesh because we think they can give us the things of the Spirit. We think, if only I could have this work of the flesh, I would experience true love, true joy, true peace. And here, Jesus says, no, you're wrong. These things are contrary and against me, and they are against my spirit. But if you abide and walk in me, this will be a result. Love and joy and peace long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he continues in 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He reminds us once again of that hope that we have. That our flesh has been crucified. When you look at the cross, I want you to see your sinful nature nailed to that cross, bloodied and beaten and tortured. And knowing that Jesus has now given us new life in his resurrection. 
So the question is, <laughs> why would we want to go back? He says, don't go back to that life. It's been killed, it's been it's dead, it's crucified. He says, 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He says, look, you have my Spirit living inside of you. Now walk in it. <laughs> Don't just be content to be where you are, but allow him to change you and to move you forward into that place where you are truly flourishing. And then 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And once again, he reminds us again, look, focus on Jesus. Seek him, seek his kingdom, walk in him, and you will not gratify these sinful desires. You will not live by the flesh. He says, look, choose Jesus and say no to the flesh. He says, You've been set free. Now, live free. (laughs) And how do we live free? By remaining and walking with him. He's the fruit bearer. He's the one who's going to bring it about. All it is, our requirement is just to be with him, to stay in him, to walk with him. So as we look at these things, the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit, the question comes to us, where are we at? As God says to Adam, where are you? He says to us today, where are you? Are you in that place where you haven't even accepted this Jesus? <laughs> where you've not accepted this gift and, of grace and forgiveness? You've not trusted and put your faith in the gospel. Until that happens, you will not receive the Holy Spirit. Until that moment, you cannot walk with the Spirit because you, you, you do not have him living inside of you. But that gift and that option is available to all if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. But then it's also for us as believers. Give us this challenge. Are we seeing the things of our fruit increasing in our life? Or are we seeing the things of the flesh increasing in our lives? And if we find ourselves, we're like, Lord, I have to be honest, I haven't been walking with you as I should be then that should lead us to a place where we repent and turn back to him. And a, and a beautiful kind of section which kind of covers kind of what real repentance looks like uh, is found in 2 Corinthians 7, kind of 6 to 11. And this is kind of Paul talking to the church, the second letter to the church in Corinth. And they, they did have issues. And as you kind of read through the both letters, they, they definitely had their issues. <laughs> And Paul says this to them, and this is, if we're in that place where we're looking at this and we're like, Lord, I have not walked with you as I should have. This is what he calls us to do, to repent and turn back to him. And I love this, he says this in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 6. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 6, it says this, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, now that's a throwaway statement, isn't it? God who comforts the downcast, our God comforts those who are downcast. If you are downcast, God desires to comfort you. Comforted us 
by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I received, so I rejoice rather even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all these things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Here he says, look, this is what godly repentance looks like. It's kind of a threefold thing. Real repentance works as well in godly sorrow. We are genuinely grieved over our sin and our shortcomings. Not just the effects of it, but the sin itself. We are grieved. But that sorrow doesn't lead us to despair. Or that sorrow leads us to the cross. And when that sorrow leads to the cross, we accept Jesus, we believe in the gospel. So true repentance is this. We are truly sorrowful. We are sorrowful over our sin. And that leads us to the cross. The second thing, we trust in the gospel. We have gospel faith. We trust that, as it says, that leads to salvation. We are sorrowful. It leads us to the feet of Jesus. And we're reminded again that he died on the cross for our sins and has forgiven us. But then thirdly, true repentance leads to real and genuine change. And we see later on that the Corinthian church, they they had this zeal, they had this passion to leave the life of the flesh behind and to embrace the life of the Spirit. So for us today, if we're in that place where we have to go and say, Lord, I haven't been walking with you as I should have been, let us repent, (laughs) let us be sorrowful for our sin, but lead us to the place where we trust the Gospel and then seek him and wait on him to produce genuine changes. So they're like, Lord, change me, make me new. I want to be different. I want to put this life to death so that I can embrace the freedom that you offer. That is what genuine and true repentance looks like. And that's what he calls us to do so often. <laughs> he says, look, realise your sin. Have godly sorrow, but trust in my gospel and then seek genuine change. And when that happens, we see that he, he sets us free. He begins to once again change us and move us forward. We begin to turn our back on the flesh and once again run towards Jesus. So the question is, where are you guys? <laughs> and the question to me is, where am I at? And so often I feel that when we look at these things, it's often, I often see, especially, you know, I often see that it, it can often be a diminishing of things of the spirit before we start to do the things of the flesh. 
It starts off with a lack of love and a lack of joy and a lack of peace and a lack of patience and kindness and goodness. And then it slowly moves itself to then embracing the things of the flesh. So my prayer is this, Lord, get me back into that place when I'm flourishing with you. I'm abounding in joy and love and peace and patience and kindness. And that will only come when I am abiding and walking in him. And then when he begins to pick us up and walk us again, there'll be moments where he, <laughs> where, where we are communed and we're, we walk in fellowship. And, and God calls us to fellowship. He doesn't call us to do it on our own for, for a number of different reasons. <laughs> but, my, uh, but also, one of the many reasons so that we could lift each other up, so that we could pick each other up, so we could challenge each other. So that as we're walking with each other, we can be like, Hey, hey bro, I'm, I'm lacking a lack of this. How are things? How is your walk? Well, I'm beginning to see this and this is beginning to concern me. You know, and, and what do we do when we, when not only, and it's always, you know, as we kind of looked at a few weeks ago, we always have to look at our own walk as well. <laughs> we can't just be like, oh, look at that guy. He's, a, he's, he's definitely doing worse with the flesh there. Uh, uh. No, it's about us loving and being like, I'm really worried for those guys because they're going back into slavery. And how do we respond? And there's a number of different ways throughout Scripture we see. But even in the verse, and you could, we could do a whole series on, on that, but even in the few verses after the section we read, he kind of gives us a little hope and a, a little kind of response to when we see somebody beginning to, to steer towards the flesh. And he says this in chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in, many, sorry, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, Considering yourself least, sorry, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He says, Look, if you see a brother <laughs> and they have been overcome by the flesh, he says, Look, seek to restore. But as we read through Scripture, true restoration can only come when there is true repentance. <laughs> There'll be moments where we're called to, to challenge our brothers and sisters and then wait for Christ. To do the work, and sometimes you know it's, uh, it takes a while. We've, we've all been in that position, you know. Somebody, uh, I think, many times my parents, yeah, a number of times my parents have lovingly come to me and said, "Why, there's something wrong?" You know, they've lovingly seen that I'm not walking the way I should, and been like, "Damn, this is wrong." And our natural reaction at first is, you know, whether we say it or not, it's like, "Who are you? Who are you to say how I'm walking?" Like, whoa, 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 even me. But if we're honest. And we truly take a few moments to let the Holy Spirit convict us. And he convicts us of sin, righteousness and judgment, so he does convict us. We begin to see that, you know what? <laughs> they are right, I do need a change. And when my heart is in that position, when it's in that place of true repentance, they can then restore me. <laughs> and then in that place for true restoration. So when we see a brother or sister in that place, we seek to restore and if they're not ready for that restoration, if they're not truly repentant, then we wait on Christ. We wait on Jesus to do that work. And we seek his leading. What has been on my mind recently is this, that we cannot save. It's not our job to save, but rather it is our job to serve. And there'll be moments where we see people we care about dearly, and we see them, become, we see them going back to that life of bondage. And with all of our heart, we would love, we, we want to save them. 
You know, we want to step in and save them. There's a reason why we love superhero movies so much. Well, maybe me. I love them so much because we love the idea of a saviour. But ultimately, we cannot save. Only Jesus can. But that frees us up to serve. So as we wait for Christ to do the work, our, our, our job is just to be like, okay, Holy Spirit, how do you want to use me? How do you want to serve? We listen to his leading. <laughs> so, guys, and for me as well, where are we at as we start 2016? Are we truly walking with him? And to be honest, we could always be walking with him better. <laughs> there are always areas of our life where we need to give more of ourselves to him. But as we look back at 2015, where are the areas, what have been the areas and times where we lean toward the flesh as opposed to really walking with him? And this is our challenge and desire as we begin this new year is that we would focus on him, that we would fix our eyes to him, that we would walk and abide in him. Because when we do, the result is beautiful fruit, which is love, which is joy, which is peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let us briefly pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us this beautiful response. That if we walk in you, there is a result. We will produce fruit. So this is my prayer, Lord, that if we've been failing to walk with you as we should... Lord, forgive us and bring us back to that place where we are planted and standing in you. Lord, forgive us for the times where we, where we have sought after our flesh instead of seeking after you, where we, where we thought we could have both, where we thought we could pursue you and somehow hold on to that old fleshly nature and you say, no, we have to let go of that. So Holy Spirit, forgive us and help us to truly walk and be planted in you. For those who have not accepted you as, our, as their Lord and Saviour, may today be the day that they make that decision to trust and follow you. Lord, help us to address our own lives, and then when we see a brother beginning to fall, may we lovingly speak the truth in love. May we not seek to save, because only you can save, but may we seek to be available to serve. So, Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, may we walk as we should so that we begin to (laughs) produce a life that bears much fruit. So, Holy Spirit, get us back to that place where we're walking as we should be in you. In your name, Jesus. Today is Communion Sunday. Today is the first Sunday of the month and it is the time we do communion. It is a, um, a really apt time, a really beautiful time that we get to do this as we begin the 2016. Um, and as we... Um, we'll be doing it slightly different today. Usually we sing um, a traditional Hebrew song which is sung at the time. Um, but in fear that I would accidentally sing Elvish or Klingon instead of Hebrew, 
I have decided to opt from that. But um, we will be doing it slightly different today. So, um, but as the um, as the bread and the grape juice will go round in a second, um, what we're going to do is we're going to read um, just the account of when we saw this happen 2,000 years ago. Jesus sets up this institution, and 2,000 years later, we're still doing it. We see that he gives these things, the bread and the wine, as a symbol as a remembrance. We do this in remembrance of him. So as it goes round, if you just like to hold on to the, the piece of, uh, well, just a wafer of bread and the grape juice. So it is grape juice, so it's not wine. Um, so keep hold of those. Um, there's also a gluten-free option, uh, which the ushers will kind of point out to you. But I want, I'll just take this time, just to kind of, a time to, uh, to sit and to get ourselves right with Christ. Um, so, if, as that is going around, let me briefly read Matthew 26, 26. And it says this, as, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sins but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom 2,000 years ago, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the wine. He says, that this is my body broken for you. And he takes the thumb and says, that this is my blood poured out for you. As we take these, it's not like something kind of magical happens. These are literally just, just symbols. Uh, symbols and reminders of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. How his blood was spilt for us and his body was broken for us. So what we're going to do, as we, um, as you have kind of, oh, nice, the cracker, and the grape juice as well, what I want to do is mean that we're just going to sing a couple of songs. I just want you to take this time, um, just in your own time, to take these elements um, in your own time. Take time to pray, um, to seek the Lord and ask the Lord, what, what, how am I with you? <laughs> how is my walk with you. And then when you're ready in your own time, take the elements and then feel free to continue to play or to join us in singing. Um, but yeah, we're just missing a couple of songs um, as we take um, off the bread and of the wine. But let me quickly pray for it and then, um, and then yeah, we'll begin to sing. And then, um, yeah, as I say, in your own time when you're ready, take the bread and take the wine and, and seek Jesus. So, Father, I just thank you for this time and how we, we remember this, uh, we remember your cross, we remember that you died for us in the bread and in the wine. We see that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us so that we could be set free from the sin that entangles us, from the sin that enslaves us, from the sin that leads to death. You took that upon yourself so that we could have life. You have set us free 
Now by your Holy Spirit, empower us to live free. We thank you for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood poured out for us. We do this in remembrance of you. In your name, Jesus.
Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, please stick around for some tea and other fun stuff. But, um, yeah. Have a blessed week. And, um, <laughs>